Good morning. Welcome to this day in July. We've never lived this day before. We've never crossed this threshold of time. This is a new day with new expectations, with new hopes, with new dreams, with new possibilities. So we're going to go into worship. If you're joining us online, welcome to Community Church. Are you guys ready? We're going to worship God like nobody's watching. We're going to lift our hands and we're going to sing. We're going to rejoice in him as though he were the only person seeing us, that this was a presentation for an audience of one, that God himself. This is the idea that David had when he stripped himself near naked and paraded himself unceremoniously before the whole nation. But he said, it was before the Lord God that I humbled myself. And I will make myself even more undignified than this. We're not here to protect our reputations, to protect our dignity, to be postured, sophisticated. We're here to pour out. Father, we say you are worthy to be praised today. We want to give you the glory that's due your name. Join us, please. Father, we thank you, God, for the privilege to anticipate your reign, the privilege to cooperate with your reign, the privilege to initiate your reign here today, now, in our lives. God, thank you, Father, for this joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, Lord, we want to say you are here. We want to say you are here now in this room. We honor your presence, mighty God. We honor your glory. We honor your preeminence. We honor your right to speak. God, we honor you. In Jesus' name. Amen. I'm so glad you're here today. I I have a message, but I want to just share something else. It's almost a challenge. I, uh, I, I, I preached already today. In Ottawa, it's a pretty quick return, eh? I caught the early flight back. Yeah, no, I, I did a Zoom service this morning for a church in Ottawa, and uh, and the Lord gave me a word. I was planning on talking on peacemakers, which I'm planning on talking about today. But uh, as I was getting up early and thinking, meditating, this thing began to cascade down on me, and I, I Lord gave me this. I think it's a super illustration of something that I think might apply to some of us. And uh, how many here like sports or you work out or you play pickleball or, you know, you watch darts? 
Yeah. I mean, there's a, a whole range of possible levels of buy-in when it comes to physical activity, right? You know, it's like, uh, yeah, I can watch it all day long. And, uh, you know, when I watch sports, when we were first married, my wife would say, sports are not for watching, they're for doing. And I, I thought that was ironic considering she didn't do sports. <laughs> but anyway, uh, but I was thinking today about what it is that this is about. What is it about? What is it? What is church about today? I mean, you're here. Some of you are online. But you guys that I see here in the flesh, you're here today. And I remember as a young man, we'd go to Catholic church. And, uh, and it was a guilt thing. It was a road thing. It was a ceremony thing. You know, we didn't really know what we were doing. And I was told just as much. I said, I don't know why we're here. I said, you'll understand when you're older. And when I got older, I still didn't understand. Uh, because... Church was meaningless to me because I wasn't getting the benefit of it. And I'm thinking the way that a lot of people do church is kind of the way this guy I saw do exercise. And I'll talk about him in a second here. But, you know, when I was a young person and my mom would ask me, did you go to church? And uh, me and my brother, sometimes we would go on a Saturday night or I can't remember when it was. But, you know, it, was, it, it wasn't something you engaged with. It's something you a box you checked in your life. And when, if you successfully checked that box, it was, a, it was like a little gold star you got in kindergarten. You know, I went to church. I satisfied the legal requirement of being in the building. I sat in the seat. I yawned, but I sat in the seat for the whole time. I endured, and now I'm done. I fulfilled my obligation to be there. You know, the, the problem with that, it's kind of like this guy I saw at the gym. He was not too athletic, a little overweight. I don't know what the impulse was or why he was there, but uh, I'm sure he told his wife and his friends, yeah, I went to the gym. I'm, uh, he probably went to the gym and then had an extra Big Mac with his lunch and a large fries and, you know, extra large Coke because he went to the gym, right? But his idea of going to the gym was doing almost nothing. And I remember watching him and thinking, you're getting no value out of this at all. Because, I mean, he, he would sit down at one of the machines and he would push the weight, hardly any weight at all. You know, my, my 11-year-old daughter could push that much weight. And he'd do it a couple of times with great big pauses in between. And he'd grab a swig of water in between a couple of pushes. Then he'd get up and he'd go refill his water. And then he'd stop at a station and ask a guy about an exercise routine, and he would have a little chat here, a little chat there, and then he would look for a towel to brush off, and then he would take a couple minutes cleaning off this machine that he used, and he would sort of wander around, you know, sort of meander. It obviously had no, no real routine to it. But he could say, I went to the gym. But clearly his, his experience... And what he could extract out of the experience was going to be very different than the Olympic quality athlete who went in there, who broke a sweat for 40 minutes, who, who actually elevated his heart rate significantly for a long period of time as he did aerobic exercises, who put decent amount of weight, who felt the pain and the tear of the muscles and pushed to this last bit and did five sets of 12 reps apiece, you know. I mean, 
They both went to the gym. But one guy's thinking, you know, he could do that for weeks, like the, the lazy guy. He could do that for weeks. At some point, it's like his wife says, why do you even go? Why do you even go to the gym? I mean, it's obviously not doing, I don't know what it is with you and exercise, but you're going to the gym, but it's not working for you. Some people do church that way. They go to church, but it's not doing anything for them. What is it that this is about? I'll tell you what it's about. It's about crossing a threshold of experience with the presence of God. It's not about checking a box that says, I went to church. God's not looking for people who go to church. God's looking for people who worship him in spirit and in truth. That there's a threshold that you cross. Church is the place where you first learn to do that. But there's no guarantee that just because you're here and in the building that you're actually doing that. So in Jesus' name, I say to those that are here and those that are listening, and I want to declare to churches all over Canada in particular that there is coming an awakening to the purpose of what it means to assemble together. There is coming an awakening to what it means to worship in spirit and in truth. So I want to encourage you, if you are starting to get disillusioned about what your spiritual exercise regimen is not getting you, I want to say you're not necessarily crossing the threshold that constitutes a spiritual workout. You could do that. So anyway, I thought, I thought that was a good illustration. You're going to hear that again and again and again and again. Because I like it. I think it sort of frames so much of where the church world has come, you know, from actual advancing the kingdom to empty ritual. And, uh, and we need to turn back from that. The reason our country, our country, our nations are in the place they are is because churches are coming together in buildings they call the house of God, but none of the activity related to bringing the kingdom is transpiring. And, and uh, churches are meant to be the gate of heaven on earth. So to that end, I want to talk about something because uh, it's also important. It is related, but I want to talk about what it means to be a peacekeeper. He said, no, Mark, not a peacekeeper, a peacemaker. I, I said that to trip you up. There's a difference between peacekeeping and peacemaking. Peacekeeping is the political version that we've assigned to the United Nations. You know, it is, the, it is a cheap replica of actually, actual peacemaking. And peacemaking is the sole domain of the sons of God. Peacemaking is, is what the sons do, and nobody else can do it that is not sons. And keeping people at a distance from one another, separating you know, ones who have their hands wrapped around each other's throats is not peacemaking, that's peacekeeping. Drawing a line between and creating a demilitarized zone and separating combatants, telling the kids to go to their respective rooms so that you can have peace in your house is not really peacemaking. Peacemaking, there's a quality of affection, there's a quality of relationship, there's a quality of love, there's a quality of peace that cannot exist when you simply separate people who hate one another. Now, is separating them bad? No, it's to be preferred, but it cannot be mistaken 
with this thing that we've been called to do, which is peacemaking. We are called sons of God. Matthew 5. So, um, and I'm not going to turn to it because you guys know this, right? Matthew 5. Everybody online's heard of Matthew 5. Right? The Beatitudes. Blessed are the peacemakers. They shall be called sons of God. But here's the, here's the challenge for us. How do, you, how do you get better at that? If peacemaking is the domain of the sons of God, if I become identified or qualified, you know, what if they go together? With, somebody says, oh, I'm, I'm a son of God. But, but you don't make peace. Are you, can you still call yourself a son of God? Which comes first? The title or the activity? The nature or the definition? I think they should go together, don't you? Does it make sense? Like, this, is why, this is why so many passages speak in this way, because, because the, the, the legal minds of men who try to escape culpability or responsibility will play with words and definitions. It's kind of like my son. He, he, you know, he, he said, did you hit your brother? No, he ran into my fist. <laughs> and, and, he would, and they would stand there and he would have his fingers an inch from his brother's eye. I'm not touching you, I'm not touching you, I'm not touching you. And somehow to him, he was still keeping the spirit of the law or the letter, the letter of the law, not the spirit of the law. He was doing what he told, don't bother your brother. I'm not touching you, not touching you, not touching you. No, I mean, none of you families have ever seen any of that, right? So so the carnal nature in us, this thing in, inside of us that comes from hell, comes from hell, does not want to come under, and so finds, finds ways to seemingly do what it's supposed to do, but not. And so God is saying, and this is what his word does, and this is why his word divides between soul and spirit and bone and marrow and reveals the intents of the heart. Because the word of God is so sharp to say, okay, you are putting on an appearance of that thing. You are trying to act like a son of God. You are, you are saying things like a son of God would, but you cannot make peace, so you don't qualify. That's pretty harsh. No, it isn't. Actually, that's the way Jesus preached all the time. That's the way the apostles preached. That's the way, that's what John preached. He said, he said, if you say you love God but hate your brother, you're a not so accurate person. What did he say? You are a liar. Liar. That's not very nice. I thought Christians' apostles were supposed to be nice. You're calling people who sincerely co showing up to church but just inadvertently do the wrong things, you're calling them liars? How is that helping them? You should encourage them. You should coax them into stop lying by telling them what they're doing well. Oh, you're not lying as much as you did last week? <laughs> the kingdom of God is established through the dividing between what is and what is not a part of the kingdom. And this is what the apostles did when they were teaching. That's why John, the apostle of love, was so hard. I mean, read 1 John. 
you, if you don't come away wondering about your salvation, right, right, you haven't really read it. I'm serious. It's, well, why is it so black and white? Why is it always so black and white? Because the, the word of God is to establish a foundation. It's basically saying this. It says, there are two kingdoms. One is darkness and one is light. And everything you do and everything you say and everything you bring to the earth comes from either one of those two sources. That's it. But yeah, but, but I'm born again. But I pray in tongues. But I went to church. And? So we're going we're gonna to look at James here, because James is one of those great books where, where he's getting down to the nitty-gritty. James is the brother of John. And the two sons of thunder are thundering with their words, saying, this is the kind of apostolic word, this is the kind of apostolic truth, this is the kind of authority that we're moving in to say, if you do this, this, I don't care what you call yourself, this is not the kingdom of heaven. And so you need to find a way to get that out of your life. And you can't hide behind, but yeah, God understands. He does, which is why he's given you so much power to get rid of that stuff. Grace isn't an excuse to cover up what you're not dealing with. It's the power to deal with what needs to be dealt with. The beauty is we don't, our standing before the Lord, our right to come into his presence is not predicated upon how good a week we had. That's the beauty. I could come in here and lift my hands and worship God even if I wasn't a good, good Christian this week. And not because I'm a hypocrite, but because the blood of Jesus Christ gives me license to draw near to him. It's the only thing that gives me license to draw near to him. So there's a couple of key passages in here, and uh, I'm going to try and hit some of them. I'm not going to hit them in order. I have to just read the whole book of James to really, to really get that. But I, w- I want to start at a particularly important place. And let's see. Um, let's start in James chapter 3. And this is what he says in, in verse 2. James chapter 3, verse 2. And I'm going to pick out a few verses here and there, and I'm going to read some others. My temptation, I would just read the whole book, honestly. I, it, it is so good. But I remember when I first read James, it looked like every verse was a different theme. You ever notice that with the book of James? But it isn't. It's actually all one theme from start to finish. He says, For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths and that they may obey us, and, and, they, and with it we turn the whole body. Look also at ships. Although they're so large, they're driven by fierce winds. They are turned by a very small rudder, wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a, is, is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. For the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and is set on the course of nature, and is set on fire by hell. 
Hmm. Let me read that again. Is he even talking to Christians here? The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire by hell. But see, the the interesting thing about this verse, it's leading to a, a problem. He's leading up to his main idea, which he introduces right in chapter one, and we may go back to that. Let me let me actually let me let me just quickly tell you what he said in chapter one. This is what he said. He said that the wrath of man cannot produce or does not produce the righteousness of God. The wrath of man, he's saying, listen. And here in chapter 3, he's saying, the problem is this. I, I listen to you guys talk, and out of the same mouth is coming blessing and cursing. Out of the same mouth is coming life and death. Out of the same mouth is coming faith and unbelief. Fear and doubt, and yet love. You're trying to be this thing, but what keeps coming out of you, and somebody says, well, you know, doesn't really matter. I was sick. I was tired. I was weak. I was a little angry, but I'm good now. No, no, that's not the point. See, the kingdom of God is only pointing to behavior because behavior is a reflection of substance. The behavior, the things you say, are a manifestation of what is hidden in your life. So God is saying, it's not enough for you to say you're a Christian. I'm trying to Christianize you. I want to change you thoroughly so that you're complete. That the, you know what he was saying about the tongue. There's a place when you can bridle your tongue, and when you can bridle your tongue, it's an indication that you are now fully mature and able to bridle the whole body. I'm not, this is not about evaluating your behavior. It's about getting to the root of the darkness that's inside of you and expunging it from your lives. He's saying, listen, this is not just a pipe dream. I can do this. The Spirit of God can do this. But already, they're, not, they're, barely, I mean, they're barely past the resurrection of Jesus, and they've already settled into, yeah, there's no chance we can do this. The best we have is pretending. The best we have is hoping. The best we have is, well, you know, God understands your effort. Yeah, he, he totally understands. That's not the issue. But he has not... He, he is not saying that that's what I'm limiting to you too. I want to change you. Now, it says, guard your heart, right? For out of it come the issues of life. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. Why? Because the tongue is connected to the heart. And the heart is the vehicle through which you express your, your nature. So when you say something and then you say, oh, no, that was just the medication I took. That was just the fact that I hadn't had enough sleep. That's just the fact that I was tired. That was, or, or, or I worked all day. That was the fact because I just had an encounter with a negative person and their negativity overwhelmed me and defiled me. And I said that negative thing, not because I'm negative, but because they affected me in this negative way and overrode all the glory of God that's inside of me. You really believe that? You really believe that the glory of God, the supreme 
light of all, who, the one who dwells in unapproachable light has put light inside of you, but your casual connection, elbow bumping with some undefiled defiled person has caused you to suddenly be so defiled that you were forced to say that thing? No, 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 no. Doesn't work that way. And this is what James said. Doesn't work that way. Blessing and cursing coming from the same well. This, my brethren, ought not to be. In other words, it's not necessary. You can't just tolerate this. You can't just say, well, you know, nobody's perfect. And nobody is perfect except Jesus. But the, 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 point, the point is this. It's not about pretending to be something you're not. You're trying to pretend you're something you're not, and then you're giving yourself excuses and outs by saying it's really impossible to be the thing that God has called us to be. It isn't but it is a journey. And the journey is taken by people who are honest, who love the truth. And so as you go towards the end of James James 3, he gets into some of the nitty-gritty of that. But let's go back to this basic idea. This basic idea. This is what is illustrated over and over and over in the Scriptures. I think this is my water. Yes, it is. I can see my lip prints on it. This is what is illustrated over and over and over. And this is what the apostolic gospel, when Paul talks about my gospel, when when the... Uh, the apostles spoke about the truth that they received from Jesus. It begins with this. There are two kingdoms. Everything comes from one of these two sources. Everything that's in the earth is coming from these two sources, and the judgment of Christ is essentially to assign them their categories. At the end of your days, when you stand before the Lord and your works are being tried by the Lord, it's not a question, well, you know, it's not like sculptures that one's pretty good and the other one's not so good. It's not like that. It's about which came from below and which came from above. That's the only question. That's why the Pharisees, right, who are doing their best to be good and be nice and and do the right things and deceiving themselves that they were actually doing it because they weren't. And Jesus said to them, he said, like, do you even ever look in the mirror? You're trying to kill me? You're trying, you know, you're, you're, you're full of evil. You're full of wickedness. Do you have any idea what you're doing? So the disciples, and the training he was giving them is saying, listen, what you get is access. Access to a stream of perfect life. What you get when you're born again is not moral perfection in your being, but you get access to something that can create moral perfection. What you get is access to a power that in Ephesians is described as being able to produce more than we can ask or think. Let me ask you for a second here. Do you think any of us in this room have tapped out the full potential of that glory that's in there? No. No, not one. 
not one of us. But let, let, me, let me go back here. So the whole idea of this teaching is how do we become a peacemaker? So when I first started teaching about this, I said, see, peace is not the absence of conflict. Peace is a commodity. Peace is a commodity that comes from heaven. See, what we're doing as Christians is, is we, are, we are being, and I could get away on myself here, but we are a gate that releases what's in heaven on the earth. You, when you became born again, Jesus said, out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Well, if it's coming out of your innermost being, does it originate there or somewhere else? Well, according to Revelations 20, it originates in heaven. There's an eternal life that's flowing out of who God is, and it comes into the earth via your spirit. When you become born again, the one who joins himself to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. And now that life can flow through you. And then your life is, okay, yielding to that thing that is love, yielding to the release of grace, yielding to the release of heavenly glory, yielding to everything we're doing. When I tell you to pray in tongues, it's not like a check-the-box obligation. Oh, I prayed in tongues for five minutes. No, when you pray in tongues, you are doing something that you can't do. That's the beauty of it. I mean, when I tell you, Okay, do something you can't do. You know, some of you might try. Ben would try. Ben Lotz would try. But when you pray in an unknown tongue, it's not something you can actually do because it says in 2 Corinthians 14, 2, he that prays in an unknown tongue doesn't speak to men to God, howbeit he speaks mysteries. He speaks things he doesn't know. Now, I know, you know, some, some reporters try to do that, talk about things they don't know. A lot of people talk about things they don't know, right? But if I say to you, say something you don't know, you don't know, you can't do that. Because the essence of Christianity is not behavior. The essence of Christianity is connecting to a realm that when that realm begins to flow through you, it creates the behavior that heaven requires. So you getting better at pulling on the reins of dark things is not exactly what it's about. Maybe that's where you begin, restraining evil, but it's only, as I say, and I say this over and over, it's only to show God that you're actually in this for the long haul. Because eventually he'll say, yeah, you restraining the evil thoughts, you know, you thinking evil thoughts but not saying them, that's great. But how many of you know there's another level of sanctification above that? There's another, another level of purification Higher than you not saying the evil things you would want to say. Well, look at me. But at the beginning when you're a young Christian, look at me. I could have swore a blue streak at that guy, but I didn't. Man, God is so happy. Right? What a reward. What a, he must be so happy with me. I, that guy deserved, you know, he deserved to get my whole mindset. But I didn't. He said, yeah, bless you. That's, that, that's all right as a part of the steps toward maturity or fullness. But God is saying, listen, I am raising up a people on the earth who have tapped in to the power of heaven. 
You know, it describes in Hebrews chapter 6, it says, those who have tasted of the powers of the age to come. You are not here to come to church to fill a requirement and do this until you die and then you go to heaven. You are here to experience, to taste, to have the powers of the kingdom age to come flowing through your being. That's what you are given. Not a ticket to get into heaven. And the same problem we have today is the same problem they had then. The carnal mind, the natural mind, you can't fully get it around this. And so the best they can hope for is good behavior. The best they can hope for is pulling the reins on darkness and, and you know, feeling like evil things and not speaking them as often as they did before. But even then, James, the son of thunder, says, yeah, this is not sufficient. And this may be the very best you can do, but let me tell you, your Christianity is not about the very best you can do. It's about manifesting a nature that is his, but was planted inside of you by a seed. Like a gardener, God is a divine gardener. He's looking for parcel of ground, parcels of ground that he can put in the seed of the DNA of the Son of God. And the earth is waiting for the maturation to the time when the sons of God come to fullness. And the earth will know them and recognize them when it sees them. And it will know that the time of its own liberation has come because the sons have come to maturity. And the sons don't come to maturity through effort, through strength, but by something else. So God has... God, God has this way of, of exposing us when we're pretending. Say, I love it when God exposes me. <laughs> Nobody said it. Because, again, we're not meant to be good actors. We're meant to be nature, people whose nature has been changed. Well, how, how can you be so joyful? Have you ever noticed somebody, somebody who's genuinely joyful all the time? Like, try to do that. Right? Somebody who's genuinely kind. Genuinely. Try to do that as a, as a prescription of behavior. It'll kill you. And so that fatalistic part of us says, well, you know, this is the best I get. But the divine faith, the divine hope, the divine promise that God's given us is there's a nature just waiting to bust out of you. And so what I'm going to do is this, and this is really going to help you, he says. Every time you're faking it, every time you're wearing the facade of niceness and goodness, gentle Jesus, I'm going to orchestrate scenarios where people come along and Bust your bubble. I'm going to orchestrate scenarios because you've been asking me for light and I'm going to give you light. And the nature of light, it says in, in Ephesians 5, is that life, uh, light exposes. Nothing is made manifest that is not made manifest by the light. And the nature of light is that it exposes. So when you're being a great pretender, I'm going to come along 
And then I have that irritating person to say just the right thing. Probably your brother or your sister. Or that one person that always, man, I hate the way they pray. (laughs) Just to pull off the facade, not to surprise God, but to show you this is not what I'm looking for. I'm not looking for good behavior. I'm looking for transformation, God is saying. And you've settled, because this is the nature of fallenness, we don't believe. Is this all right? Do you guys want to be perfect? Do you want to be complete? Do you want to be full? And I talked last week, I think, about the nature of perfection. When it talks about perfection, it's actually completeness. Like when a carrot is sown and it becomes a full-grown, mature carrot in all of its, at, its glory, that is what the Bible talks about when it's talking about perfection. Fullness, completeness. So God planted a seed inside of you, and he's looking for the fullness of that seed. When it, it pushes back everything else and occupies all the space. See, Jesus was like that. So that even, even when they were poking him, you know you can poke people? And bring out all, elicit all kinds of ungodly behaviors. And the Bible says you should do that. Actually, no, it says provoke one another to good works. Okay. All right. So maybe I shouldn't be doing that. So let's not do that. Let's not make that our, our ministry. Okay. But, but you know how, how, you, uh, how you can, you can uh, poke things, right? You know, poke people, and it brings out who they really are? Well, God's the divine poker. Not because he's surprised by what he sees when, you, when your face turns and contorts. And you go, The Bible calls it, James calls it, the overflow of wickedness. He says, listen, guys, you're all criticizing one another. You're angry at one another. I want you to know a couple things. I want you to know that the wrath of man cannot produce the righteousness of God. Yeah, but we're, I'm right. I'm correct in my assessment of the details. The, righteous, the wrath of man cannot produce the righteousness of God, so it doesn't matter how right you are. You can be correct in your assessment, but wrong in your heart. In which case, it's equally bad. You can't, you can't revel in, oh yeah, but at least I was right when I killed them. Right? At least I was right. And they, I mean, well, metaphorically, we think, well, we haven't killed anybody. But in, in Galatians, when he's talking about these things, Paul's talking about these things, he said, be careful that in your against one another, you don't devour one another. So later on in James chapter 4, when he's saying, listen, you murder and you covet, he's not necessarily talking about literal murder, but he's saying it actually comes from the same root. The same strife, the same war, the same inclination to dislike your brother that you see there in its mature state becomes murder. That's why Jesus said, you know, if you look on a woman to to lust, you've already committed adultery. Why? Because there's no time with God. And when you plant a seed, if you don't uproot that seed, and if you're not inclined to uproot that seed or deny that seed, and you want to let that thing grow in your life, it's, it's inevitably coming to maturity. And there's no time with God. So that seed is already, in his eyes, a full-grown 
thing. This is why men, this is why men, some women as well, but uh, you know, I'm a man, so I rebuke men. This is why men who get caught in adultery are surprised sometimes. You know, I don't know what I did. I got a good family. I got a good wife. I, I got a good thing. But, you know, I, the circumstance came, and I was overcome by this thing, and I, I was hooked by this woman, and I fell in this, and, and I couldn't get myself out. Yeah, even though I knew it was wrong, I didn't want to. Da, 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 da. How did that happen? Because you said yes here, and 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 then even though it was taking you to a place you never wanted to go, you couldn't but say yes again. Because you play how you practice. So God is saying, listen, I, I want to I expose the things that are just underneath the behavior. Now, I've, I've skipped way ahead. I've gone a whole, whole different path I wanted to take. But let's turn back to Matthew because... And we'll come back to James in a second. But Matthew, we've got the Beatitudes there, right? In uh, Earlier in 5. And I'll look at them. I'll give you the exact. But it was interesting because I was talking with somebody yesterday. And we were talking about Jesus' message. And we were talking about this idea of becoming peacemakers. And I was explaining to them, it's, it's about essential nature. It's about the essential nature of a thing. See, when, when we think about the kingdom of heaven, right at the very beginning, when God created the earth in Genesis, it says, it says every seed will produce after what? Its own kind. So, you know, when Jesus said uh, um, a fig tree cannot bring forth thorns because every tree produces its own fruit. And this is, this is an essential truth of the kingdom of God. And there's something in us that's reluctant to acknowledge that. So we'll do something. We'll, we'll hate somebody, you know, or, or justify speaking evil about them. And then we'll think that it's a good thing. Because we meant well or we're better or, you know, whatever, whatever lies we tell ourselves... They're not different from the lies that the other, you know, the other Christians of, of James and John's day told themselves. That's why John said, if you do this and you do this, you're a liar. But all of these things, all of these things are manifestations of that fallen nature. But we have a way around them. So let's go back here. What we have, it's in uh, Matthew 5. I won't read all the Beatitudes. There's too many of them. But in 7, it says, uh, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Oh, that's a big one. Hmm. Let me ask you something. Have you ever said this? Yeah, I wish I could experience God more. I wish I, you know, I see people really have deep experiences with God. I wish I could have that. You can, but it takes some purifying. But you can't purify what you deny exists. There's no out of sight, out of mind in the kingdom of heaven. Father, I pray right now 
God, that the weightiness of the building blocks of the kingdom of heaven in their individual lives. Now, I'm not saying these things to be mean or to be hurtful. I, I, God has said these things to me. God has dealt with these things in my life and is still dealing with them. But I have a hope and I have a belief that there is a level of peace that does not presently exist in the earth, and it's going to increase because the children of peace have chosen the path of peace. And that's what we are. God is saying, listen, I, I have a commodity in heaven that's just waiting to fill the earth. I could fill your cities with so much peace. War would never be possible. Well, let's do that. Okay, let's do that. Where do we start, Lord? Who should I go talk to? You. I want to talk to you. Yeah, but I'm a pretty good Christian. I don't care. I don't care how good you are. You need to be perfect. Yeah, well, that's a little much, Lord. Like these are the these are the things we do. That's that's a little too much to ask. No, it isn't. I just need you to embark on a process. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna condemn you for everything in your, your life. I'm gonna put my finger on one thing at a time. And this week and this month, God's been putting His finger on something in your life. He's saying, okay, that thing you thought was just a mild... Let's let's pull back the layers a little bit. I want you to begin to see how deep it really goes. It's not just a minor annoyance. Actually, the core of that, the essence of that, the true nature of that is a spirit of murder and hatred. What? But I'm just mildly annoyed at their bad praying. No, you don't understand. There are things that come from above and there are things that come from below and nothing in between. So that mild annoyance that you dismiss because everybody gets annoyed with somebody. It's hard when it's your wife or your husband, right? It has a root. It has an essence of what it is at its core. So I want to ask you, if it were to fall into one category or another, which one would it be? Mm. Mm. Do you love the truth? Like what? This generation that's coming are going to love the truth so much. They're going to like. They're going to be like Neo in the Matrix. You know, when he got loaded up and started the reality of what he started getting all this information down. He said, "Give me more. Give me more." I want to see Christians like that. that I mean, they get, they get convicted, they repent, and, and they, they come right back to the altar. Give me more. Give me more. That purging, cleansing, purifying truth, I want more of that. Show me more. What a, where else is evil, darkness, hatred, murder hiding in my life? That's the kind of Christian God is making. I will tolerate no evil. So you got all these great promises, Right? Now, I started by saying, you know, how much of you want to experience more of God? The reason we don't experience more of God is because the pure in heart will see God. Are you saying I'm not pure in heart? Are you saying you are? (laughs) Right? I mean, think of if you're offended by that, what do you think about yourself? Okay, 
got some purifying on the way. So blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. So he says that right there. And so I was talking with Travis yesterday, and we were talking about a couple of things. And, and we were talking about this, the, how Jesus' gospel, Jesus' message of the kingdom, is about itemizing and finding out what is the true nature of this versus that. That everything that is in existence has a nature that originates from hell or from heaven. Now, you remember when in James he talked about the tongue? He said how the tongue is set on fire from hell? Hmm, kind of interesting, eh? Do you think that's just a colorful metaphor? Or, or is he saying that there's something more to that? This is what, just a little bit after, just a few phrases after the Beatitudes, Jesus is talking to his disciples again. In verse 21, he says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. The judgment, I think the word is, uh, I can't remember the word now, I think it's, it's crisis, crisis. And it means it's kind of a dividing. When, when God judges, he divides between one sort and another sort. So whatever, you know, things, uh, wood, hair, stubble, at the, you know, they're going to be consumed because they're all of one sort. They're consumable. Silver, gold, and bronze, it's not consumable. It's actually of, of a heavenly quality. So he says here, he says, you'll be danger in the judgment, all right, if you murder. He said, he goes on, he said, but I say to you, whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council, but whoever says you fool shall be in danger of hellfire. I used to look at that and think, oh, I don't want to go to hell. He's not talking about your eternal destiny. He's talking about the essence of what it is you're handling. He's talking about the essence of what's coming out of your heart, what you are allowing, permitting, justifying, to come through you. So if I want to be a peacemaker, this, this brings us back to our final point, back to James. James is talking about, essentially, how do you be a peacemaker? And let me read that scripture. But he's saying, look, it comes down to the heart. It comes down to the tongue. Because the tongue always manifests what's really in the heart. It's not just a Freudian slip. Let's read the one verse. James four eighteen. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Everything he's talking about here and everything he talks about in chapter 4 afterwards when he says, you know, if you love the world, you know, you're, you're actually in an antichrist position. You're loving something that's not of God. And God will resist you because God resists the proud. But he's particularly talking here about the way that we lie to ourselves about the essence of who we are. 
the essence of what we're doing. And we do that because we don't really believe. I mean, let me just say that. We do that because our righteousness, you know, if you get a test and you, you think that th- that test, if I get 60% on that test, I pass. If I get 59%, I don't pass. If the teacher says beforehand, this test doesn't matter at all. Your passing or failing does not come on. You're more likely to acknowledge or share with others or have it openly advertised that whatever mark you got because it's not important. When you actually believe that your position, your role in the kingdom of heaven, your eternal home is, is because of what Jesus did, then you can look at what you did honestly. If you secretly think God, is, God will do more things for me if I get this right, then you tend to hide things. So in other words, unbelief, not being able to believe that Jesus paid the price for your sin is the root that empowers darkness to continue in our lives. If my, if my right to come, my, my right to wear white, bright, royal robes, to be in the wedding feast, to be in his presence, is already established, then examination of who I am now is an easy thing. But it's not. We tend to feel shame. We tend to feel embarrassment. We tend to get defensive. We tend to justify ourselves. We, we tend to make excuses. All of that is what James is talking about. He's saying, listen, the fact that you do all that means there's something rooted in your life. I'm trying to get out. And you can try and ha- you can try as hard as you want to try and pretend that's not there. But that denial itself is a demonic wisdom. And peacemakers are the ones who love the truth. Peacemakers are the ones who say, oh God, yeah, this stuff's coming up in my life. God, forgive me. I want to lean into you. I want to seek you. I want this to be gone. I'm not justifying it. I'm not pretending it's not there. I'm not making excuses. I'm not saying it's my wife. It's the woman you gave me. I'm not saying it's my economic situation. I'm saying it's my biology. I'm not saying it's my hormones. I'm not saying it's the, you know, any other circumstance. It is fallenness and nothing less. God, change me. Free me. A generation of people are coming who will be called peacemakers. They will be called sons of God. The creation is waiting for the manifestation of these ones. You are them if you choose to be. What does it take? Love of the truth. So we're in a we're in a community here. And um Communities are important. Gatherings are important because you get to see what you're really made of. If you're constantly always offended, guess what? If you can't be with people without feeling rejected, without people needing to honor you in special ways, otherwise you don't want to come, if you can't be with people because you're fearful, if you can't be with people in community because, well, this one annoys me and that one does that wrong, this one does this wrong, do we have to reread the whole scriptures again? You are the problem. 
So um, we can sit there on our Christian mountain and say, yeah, this stuff that's happening in Detroit, and it's evil, it's wrong. Mm, mm, mm. See how great a fire the tongue kindles. But if you're operating in the same fire, the only difference between here and there is maturity. That flame of division, that spirit of war that's been released in places around the earth, whether it's Rwanda or the Congo or Hitler's Germany or Thai, uh, Thai, uh, Thailand or Bangkok or whatever, the only difference between us and them is opportunity, time. And God's saying, listen, I'm, I'm trying to make you peacemakers. What if we could establish a zone of peace in Spruce Grove, Edmonton, northern Alberta, that literally war can't come in? That when inciting speech, when people coming with that the hatred, anger, racism, devilish stuff come into it, none of it, ca- the ground doesn't catch fire because it's wet with the dew of heaven because the peacemakers have released an atmosphere that this is it's not incendiary here you can't catch that kind of flame here it's possible not because we're great not because we haven't we don't have the same kind of historical woes it's possible because the sons of god have started to become the sons of god that's god's plan I mean, can can you see the potential in this? God is looking all around the face of the earth to say, my kingdom is coming. There's increase of peace in my government, but I really want it to surge ahead somewhere. Hmm, where could I do that? With whom could I do that? Well, I really want that, but tomorrow, when somebody irritates you, when your husband, wife, brother, sister, neighbor says the wrong thing, are you going to let the overflow of wickedness run rampant? Or, or cry out to God for mercy? Oh God, why am I so easily offended? Why am I so angry? Why am I so bitter? Why am I so un, uh, unforgiving? The peace of the... I started this the, the other week. You know, all the contestants for the beauty pageants. What do you want most? World peace. So I'm asking you, what do you want most? Peace. I want us to say peace, and I want us to mean it, because peace is in our hands. Peace is the domain of the sons of God. We can make peace here, and it could spread across this nation. It can subdue. There's other elements to this, which we'll cover maybe in a month. But we have it in our hands to create a zone of heaven on earth. It begins with quenching the fires, the flames of of our own hearts. Father, today we choose to be sons of God. God, today we choose to be peacemakers. Today we choose, Father, to be the answer the world needs, to be the representation on earth of the Prince of Peace, Melchizedek, the King of Peace, Father, we say in Jesus' name, Lord, we're putting our names on the dotted line. We're taking responsibility for our words, our actions, our thoughts. We're taking responsibility for the climate of our city.
our homes, our regions. In Jesus' name.